If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. It's cold here in the Major Spoilers headquarters, but it was a hot day in Spike Lee's 1989 Do the Right Thing. And that's what we're talking this week on Zach on Film. All right, Zach. This is a tough one. Yeah. This is probably different. I mean, uh, the last two movies that we've done, Rodrigo, are coming-of-age movies, right? Right. This, to an extent, is a coming-of-age in a sense that it is an awakening moment for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, Particularly movie audiences who saw this in 1989. But it is quite a bit different than the teenage comedy. Oh. Oh, yeah. So, Zach, you've had some time to watch this. Yeah. You've had some time to think about it. hmm Hopefully. That's what I've pretty much been doing the last couple of days. Give us a rundown of Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, and then we'll start talking about themes and issues that uh, come out of this movie. All right. So, a broad overview of what Do the Right Thing is, it's... It's summer in Brooklyn. It's one of going to be one of the hottest days of the year. It takes place over the course of one singular day, and it's essentially about the different races living in this Brooklyn neighborhood and how they interact. And it's centered around uh, Sal's famous pizzeria and how the different characters interact. And that's kind of a lot of uh, deals with racism, bigotry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's kind of hard to. No, I mean that's it. I mean, it. I mean good, it's, it's I a guess. movie about yeah race relations and how different people view each other. Yeah, and I, I forget the uh, a book. I remember reading this book when I was uh, much younger, but uh, essentially, in this book that I read, you're putting rats in a cage. And in this cage, if you have a certain number of rats, the rats kind of leave each other alone and they don't, you know, they don't get into arguments too many times. But then the more rats you put in and the more tighter that space becomes, Mm -hmm. suddenly they start turning on each other and aggressions go up and all these, you know, weird psychological things start to happening when you're packed into a compact space. I don't know about you, but when I get hot, I get irritable. Yeah. And when you've got a lot of people packed into a small space, like New York City, Brooklyn, uh, I can just imagine on a hot day, tempers are flaring, people are already testy at one another, and then you throw in the race issue, and suddenly things are going to explode. Am I right, Rodrigo, on this? Oh, sure. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go a little bit deeper into that. No, he's agreeing with you. So... (laughs) Then, young Zach, yeah, tell us about some of the themes. What are some messages that Spike Lee is trying to get across? 
I mean, we see a lot. <laughs> we see a lot of continual discussion about yeah. race. We have people in the neighborhood who don't like Mookie, played by Spike Lee, working for Sal's famous pizzeria yeah. because Sal is a white guy mm-hmm. and a bigot, and his sons, uh, Pico and um, Pino, Pino, Pino. Uh, are uh, to varying degrees um, bigots as well, racist as well. Um, we get a lot of colorful characters in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them played up straight for laughs. Some of them played up very seriously. Um, ultimately, though, things explode and a fight breaks out leading to the death of Radio Rahim. One of the, um, I wouldn't say central characters, but he does become a central focus at the end of the movie where he's yeah. killed by a police, police. Uh, white police. And... Um, fighting breaks out and they burn the pizzeria down. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, a very broad overview of, of what's going on here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's appropriate though. It's, yeah. Yeah. So where do you want to start, Matthew? Well, for me, I think the obvious place to start is with that central, that central conceit, that central problem of, you know, it, they have that long sequence of everybody yelling the other group's racial stereotypes at them. Mm-hmm. And then Samuel L. Jackson telling everybody, hold the F word up. You know, that happens. Happens about midway, uh, just right? About, right before midway. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of interesting because at that point, when that happens, which is a very, I, I think, powerful moment where everybody's just screaming these epitaphs oh, at one yes. another. Yeah. That, and it's it's extended too. It's not like a quick sequence. No, it no, no. is just waha. No. Yeah. And I think what's most interesting about that is it says that everybody, that really in this film, nobody is on the right. 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 There's not Every, one person who is a yes. and we'll say quote unquote good character here, right? Everybody well, has some fault. And in this right. case, the racism yeah. is the fault that all of them have. Even Everybody the even the Korean even the Korean um, store mm-hmm. owner uh, who has very little playtime uh, in the movie <clears throat> gets to you know say you know what he's thinking inside about people that he's encountering every single day. Right. Everybody in the movie comes in with their expectations and their bias, mm-hmm. and when it comes right down to it, this is one of my favorite Spike Lee joints because. Yeah, there is a definite perspective, and the filmmaker is clearly coming out and saying, excuse me, y'all are idiots. But more importantly, he's he's saying that everybody has this same idiocy, and all of the characters that we see in here play into it in one way or another. And when things finally explode, you know, it's entirely those biases that cause the bad things to happen, but those same biases eventually lead to the kind of sort of maybe kind of upbeat, not quite upbeat ending. If you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, each of the characters that Spike Lee puts into this movie are there for a very specific reason. Yes. And they represent different groups and thoughts and ideologies of people. Yeah. Do you want to give us a breakdown? Do you want to take a look at Sal first, the owner of the pizzeria? Salvatore. And, and what he represents? Yeah, I... Sal to me was probably one of the more in, probably one of my favorite character in the movie just for how he's portrayed throughout Sal 
is the owner of his own pizzeria, and he's because it's it's kind of like everyone has a a moment where you think oh they're okay, and then every uh, another moment they're just like a complete dirtbag the entire right, right, time. Right. And so Sal is has been in his own his shop for twenty five years, and even his son comes to him out the middle of the movie and he said, "Why are we here? They don't want us here." We mm-hmm. shouldn't be here. We should be in our neighborhood. And sounds like, no, this is this is my shop. I've been here for twenty five years. I've fed these kids food. They've they've been raising my pizza, and that's that's something I'm proud of. But then you, when he's introduced, when oh, bugging out comes, he gets mm-hmm. he'll get really upset at him for wanting different people up on his wall of fame. And then right. when Radio Rahim comes in, blasting his music, Shal's perspective completely twists, mm-hmm. and he gets very upset. He's, he's an interesting character. Rodrigo, you want to go a little bit further on the Sal character? Yeah, I think that, you know, Sal is also in a lot of ways, or at, definitely seen by the characters as um, kind of the establishment. Right. Yeah. Because, because he owns yeah. because he owns the establishment in mm-hmm. town, right? Exactly, I mean, exactly. Or in that block, you know, two blocks. There, He employs... You know, out of all the characters that we meet, he employs three characters that are pretty uh, important. But most importantly, he employs the main character. He employs Mookie and his friends, you know, give him crap for uh, for working for Sal because Sal is a white guy in a black neighborhood, you know, but probably more importantly an italian guy in a black neighborhood mm-hmm. because his italian is actually brought up constantly and is important enough that you know maybe it needs to be more specified than necessarily the fact that he's white but it, to, to a large degree it it goes back and forth between whether it matters or not but yeah i mean he monetarily is fairly secure um the neighborhood relies on him so he is an important, he's kind of a pillar of, of that society and which makes him something that is, it, it puts him in a position where others can rebel against him and where he can lay down rules and enforce his authority. Right. As well. I, I think from my perspective, we look at Sal as someone who is the um, racist who doesn't realize he's racist. Right. But through his actions, he's saying, hey, look how I've treated these people in the neighborhood. And over 25 years, this neighborhood becomes predominantly black. Look at how I've treated these people so kindly. Me, the great white grace for this neighborhood. Look at what I do to these people. And it's only through his actions as they build and build and build and build and build that finally at the end, when he breaks out the bat and starts beating Radio Rahim's uh, radio and starts using the N-word constantly, do we really see – that come to the surface, fully come to the surface. Uh, and I think that there is a large part of America that fits into that Sal category. Well, if you look at Sal and, you know, I'm not going to make an excuse for anybody in this movie. I am myself Caucasian. So, what? you know, that, that gives me a bias that I look at. But if you look at what Sal actually says mm-hmm. and when, when the argument starts, when uh, when Giancarlo Esposito is up in his face, Sal says, I'm bugging proud out. of my Italian. Yeah, bugging out. I'm proud of my Italian heritage. This is my wall. I put right. my people on that right. wall. Right. That statement up to the end of that statement, that's a perfectly legitimate statement to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
up until the point when again he starts he starts bashing the people but when you actually you know, when you take the the whole situation that whole day into account sal is no more or no less guilty of, of the racism that is all over this movie no but if no. you're if you're talking about you know overall racism and and really everyone's racist views throughout this movie sal is certainly that represents one portion of america which is yep. quite a yeah. bit different than pino his oldest son who is very racist mm-hmm. yeah and he represents you know the aggressive i don't want to say white supremacist but the aggressive racist out here who believes in class separation, who says right. we need to be in our neighborhood, they need to be in their neighborhood, and we need right. to do this for for us. Right. Uh, who says you know, you know the the black people that I look up to and admire are not actually black. Right. Because that's yeah. that's a a conflict. Right, right. Exactly. And when you look at that though, you can see where Pino gets that from his dad. His dad saying, "I put Italian people on the wall in my Italian restaurant." You can see where what Sal believes has shaped Pino into the utter bastard that he ends up being throughout this film. Yeah. Throwing, I mean, it's throwing a, it is, bombs. It is a great example when you look at Pino and Vito. Right. Um, of the same upbringing in an angry person and the same upbringing in a kind of a, a bashful person yeah. gives you two drastically different people well but, one of which is a, a raging bastard and the other one which is you know a, a really kind of bashful person right and so Vito's character again as i see this is someone who is afraid to stand up to the racist right yeah Vito yeah. is afraid to stand up to his brother the racist because he gets along with pretty much everyone in the neighborhood mm-hmm. you never see him having a conflict with one another he's the only Eh, maybe Sal to an extent, but he's the only one that tries to have conversations with Mookie to say, hey, you know, let's try to work this out at some point. So he is somebody that's trying to be neutral, but he also is at fault in this movie because he won't stand up to his brother. He won't say this is wrong. You're wrong. And again, as a reflection on society, there are a number of people that still will do that. If they see something um, being derogatory to someone else, class, race, whatever, nobody steps up. And so Vito then represents that that group of people. So that he even that he won't, he doesn't fight back. He, he doesn't fight back. He won't, he won't stand up to him. He, he actually defends. He actually defends Pino when Mookie right. and him walk down to the radio station. Right. And Mookie's saying, "Well, why don't you just hit him? Right. Because you don't really believe what he's saying." Mm-hmm. But Vito's like, "Oh, you just don't know my brother. If you live with him, then you know you just don't, you just don't understand what why he thinks this." Right. And I I, I think that. There are some really, really savvy choices in the filmmaking itself. And I think the, the biggest and for me, the, the most immediately wonderful choice is the, the Bedford Stein neighborhood that this takes place. In. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I've, I've been in that neighborhood and you walk oh, really? from street to street and you hear that, you know, at, when I was there, which was God. Yeah, this has been about the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. You would hear. You probably the language, just missed the, the language on the street would change from block to block. Right. Um, now, I actually, I know for a fact that I have been in Boys High School in Bedford Stuy mm-hmm. because it's a gorgeous, gorgeous building. And if I understand this, you know, the the uh, locations in the film, it's like maybe I don't know, the four blocks is away. Somewhere it's two two blocks is where it, it takes is place it? in. That, yeah. I mean, of course, there's a more expanded place because we don't know where. Uh, Tina lives. We don't expect right. her to live within that same block. Right. But um, 
most of the stuff takes place within that two blocks of of right. sal's mm-hmm. and it's also you know it's the location there were huge riots in the 60s oh, yeah. in bedford style right so when you go into this movie <laughs> if you if you know if you don't know anything about the area it's clear what's going on if you have right. a historical perspective you can actually see what's coming in this film and that mm-hmm. to me is you know especially well, for a young filmmaker that's fascinating oh yeah 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 to see and, how he builds that up and especially the the fact that radio rahim is choked to death because that's mm-hmm. actually something that happened what a couple of years before in and around the same area uh yeah. where he was uh, somebody was choked out by the police and killed um so yeah there's a lot of that stuff that you know 30 years later mm-hmm. or 20 years however long it's been um, Even just a couple years. Yeah, that mm-hmm. we don't we don't remember those things. What is bugging out? If if we've talked about uh, Sal, uh, Pino, and Vito, what does mm-hmm. bugging out represent then, Zach? Um, bugging out is, I believe, kind of a representation of the Malcolm X mm-hmm. um, standpoint of how to deal with race relations. Mm-hmm. More of a, uh, um violent action is possible mm-hmm. kind he's, of he's standpoint. Instigator. Yeah, yeah instigator. instigator. Yeah, that'd be a good mm-hmm. word. He's not necessarily an antagonist because I don't feel like he's no. the villain. No, but he no. is, he is the, the instigator of a lot of the conflict. Well, he's certainly the instigator of the central conflict. Yeah, well, right. completely. Yeah, but he, you're right. He would be representing that, um, aggressive, more militant um, standpoint. By any yeah, means necessary. yeah. By any means necessary. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back around to um, Martin and Malcolm uh, at the end because you know that plays a big role in the overall message that's been sent out or the conflicting messages that that go out. Um, what about Radio Rahim? Are you asking me? Yes. Um, you are the one, you are yeah, the one yeah, that's yeah. being questioned. <laughs> you are the one learning. You are the one, you are the one on film. Yay. It's not Fat Man on film. <laughs> uh, Radio Rahim's, the way I saw it, in opposite of Bugging Out, and he seemed to take a more somewhat peaceful approach. Especially if you look at his part when he... Uh, when him and Mookie meet in the middle of the street and he and said he does, this out, he does a little love-hate mm-hmm. thing and he's talking about how love... If I love you, I love you. If I hate you, I hate you. Right. And it depends on your actions or you're going to be dependent upon my actions, essentially is what it... Well, yeah, and to. he said, well, in that, it's... Uh, well, he said the right hand of love conquered the love, right hand of hate. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that in that perspective, it he was definitely tense throughout, but he seemed somewhat peaceful in certain points yeah the left hand right hand thing is from night of the hunter right yeah um anybody maybe rodrigo uh take a look at the boom box as a phallic symbol um, phallic? I, yes. I wouldn't well uh. i wouldn't i wouldn't say phallic but it's definitely radio rahim establishes his supremacy through his boombox. Right. It's, it's yeah. his and, item of power for sure. And yeah. And the only, we only see radio Rahim lose it two times. Literally like lose the boombox and lose control two times. One at the Korean neighborhood when he's, uh, or in the, in the store, well, actually, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's, there's, they're Koreans, right? Yeah. They're yeah, Koreans. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunny. Yeah. Where his boombox runs out of batteries and he can't communicate to them that he needs more batteries. 
Yeah. Um, and D. then later on, when his toolbox gets smashed. Right. But so again, in this movie, there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of strong female characters. Uh, and even even uh, Spike Lee will say that, yes, even while I'm filming this, I was realizing that I there are female characters here, but they're not as strong as they could be. Yeah. Uh, but instead, what we get is males fighting against one another and bashing one another over just male things, guy things. Mm. And so when you see Radio Rahim with his giant boom box, he is establishing, I am supreme. I am the biggest on the block. Mm. And it even gets to the point where they have the boom box duel. Yeah. Now, Matthew and I, Matthew and I probably remember boom box fights. I don't know if Rodrigo remembers boom box box fights. I know we had, we had disc men. Did you ever have car stereo battles? Yeah, yeah, we did. I actually had a friend who had a really, really good stereo for his car. And it's actually just because he had an old car. Like none of us had a lot of money, but he had a car that just happened to have been built with a really good stereo. And there would be kids that were blasting music. And it was usually like really crappy rap. And he would like blast like rock and roll part two. <laughs> nice. Or something something like deliberately that he thought they would like just or was like really stupid. New, like that's that's around when banjos. Yeah, when ba- when Barbie right. Girl came out, he would like blast that and it would just like drown the parking lot. I because he's trying because he's trying to do what? He's trying to exert his dominance over everyone else in the neighborhood, right? Or yep. everyone else in the parking lot. Same well, way with Radio and, Rahim. Yeah, he gets to I the mean, point he where was he... A, he was a hipster, so he, w- he was also, he was ironically, <laughs> ironically <laughs> exerting his dominance over but, everyone. But in the movie, Radio Rahim comes up with the um, the Puerto Rican group that's sitting on the stoop, and he's mm-hmm. like, turn that down. And they're like, nope. And he's got a smaller boombox, and he turns it up. And Radio Rahim continues to turn his up, and they... You know, Radio Rahim establishes that he is the most dominant, most powerful in the neighborhood because he's got the biggest, most powerful boombox. Uh, and everyone else what is, acquiesces. You know, they eventually turn the music down and let him go on his way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of domination, you know, trying to establish dominance over every, uh, other people, other groups uh, yeah. throughout this uh, story. What about then when we get to the mayor? What what does he represent in in this world? The mayor represents <laughs> kind of I don't know the old way kind of probably yeah the old way of doing people well, that doing things and to an extent the Greek chorus uh, the three guys okay yeah you know. Um, those who want to turn away from what's going on through alcohol yeah, and getting drunk. Yeah. Now, granted, this is on a Saturday, so this may not be a typical week or a typical day in the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, but certainly the mayor becoming drunk or, or representing that aspect of people who would rather just medicate that way mm-hmm. uh, to forget or to ignore um, it plays a role. I guess also with Sal, if you think about Sal's relationship with the mayor, the mayor comes in, nobody wants him here. So what does Sal do? He gives him money to go mm-hmm. away. He pays Mookie to go away. He pays well, Smiley he, to he, go away. He so pays, pays the mayor to to sweep to go away. Get out of sight, out of mind. Out front, out front, out of sight, out of mind. Smiley the same way. Out of sight, out of mind. Mookie, give him the money at the end. Go away. So again, another kind of theme of the character mm-hmm. is: if I throw enough money at it, it will go away. My problem will go away. Well, that's his power, right? 
That's the power that he has that other people don't. I think with the mayor also, to me, is kind of the the representation of the the character who's too old to fight any longer or not necessarily too old to fight but old enough that maybe he doesn't see the point in the fight yeah nobody mess with the mayor well the mayor don't bother nobody nobody bother the mayor but you he's he's kind of retreated into his 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 bottle and that's his thing and he's fine and he I loves have- everybody I have I have this read of the mayor that he actually represents like male wisdom, mm-hmm. um, especially when when you pair him up with and literally when they pair him up with mother sister as right. kind of that female wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's old. He rescues a kid. You see that he's a good person. He is the one who tells you who says out loud the title of the movie to Mookie. Right. Who then ultimately you might Dismisses actually him. say fail to to carry out what he says, yep. you know, always do the right thing. Is that it? His wisdom. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All um, right, got it. I'm gone. His wisdom, the the wisdom that men around him don't have is right. basically don't fight. Don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to upset people there's no reason to declare your dominance if something is and problematic just so flow then, away and come back later so then and, if and we're, things will be better if we're looking at bugging out as the malcolm x does the mayor then represent martin luther no, no. i think i actually think that the dichotomy the strongest dichotomy in this movie is bugging out and jade mm, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. main reason for that is that they are both close to mookie who right. is ultimately right. the one who has to make that choice mm-hmm. you know jade tells him get a job do the thing work for sal make money like do everything that you're supposed to be doing the best way possible uh, which is what um martin luther king was saying is you know mm-hmm. there's no reason to fight if you show people that you are a good person if you show people that you are a person like them if you show people love and respect they yeah. will show you love and respect. And when Jade comes down from her apartment and walks around, everybody oh, loves yeah, everybody her. You loves can her. see mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, even like she has a direct conversation with Buggin' Out. Buggin' Out kind of weirdly berates her and she just completely deflects him, disarms him. And in the end, they're okay with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And about- if you look at Demayer's Deme- other big scene when he's not saving, you know, the kid from dying, right? Demayer acts twice to avoid conflict right mm-hmm. one to keep sal from getting choked out and the mayor actually physically acts to yeah. get sal out of the way of being killed sal is trying to protect his his pizza parlor and the mayor takes him out of the way saves his life and it, you know it feels like he's doing it to to because he knows that sal doesn't realize that it's not worth dying for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he he is the one who is is not necessarily. He is avoiding conflict. Even when he's getting drunk and sitting on the porch, he's avoiding conflict. And that's a good thing in some places, but it's also the thing that makes him almost, you know, the, the town joke, the right, Otis right. town drunk. Yep. yep. By avoiding that conflict, he hasn't fought at times when maybe he should have. Mm-hmm. What about the uh, the three men? I, I call them the Greek chorus. Zach, do you know what a Greek chorus is? Oh, 
not specifically. I've heard of it. I think I've seen it on TV trips before. Uh, Zach or, or I'm sorry, Matthew or Rodrigo. <laughs> I can take it. Go ahead, He's Rodrigo. TV tropes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so in ancient uh, Greek theater, uh, it was very structured. It very quickly became a very structured thing. And one of the conceits of it was the chorus, which explained to you basically gave you direct exposition, sometimes commented uh, on what was going on so that the audience would know which direction you were supposed to be feeling. If some if somebody did something violent, the Greek chorus would be like, oh, this was a great deed. And you're like, oh, okay. So I'm not supposed to be like mad at that guy for killing his brother. He, he was supposed to kill his brother. Okay, cool. Um, you see the chorus... Uh, it disappeared for a while, came back, disappears, comes back. Um, it has, you know, the, the what we think of as the narrator has its um, roots in the Greek chorus. Yeah. Um, what we think of as um, the th- uh, three girls from Little Shop of Horrors have is, uh, <laughs> yeah. which, by the way, is, is the link there. Because one of the girls from Little Shop of Horrors then goes on to marry one of the guys from Do the Right Thing. Boom. And then that's when Martin happens. Martin! <laughs> but, Martin. Uh, yeah, so the Greek chorus uh, comments on the action and usually tells you what is going on and how you should feel about it. These guys uh, that, I, that Stephen is referring to don't exactly... Um, I don't think that you should take their opinion necessarily on, on how to feel about things, but they have that role of kind of commenting and bringing everything that's going on together and then proceeding to largely make fun of each other. Right. Yeah. Now do the kids also serve in that, that role, the Martin Lawrence and the, um, um, I forget the girl. I've seen her somewhere else before too, but you know, they're running around commenting from their perspective, a different age group perspective. So do they come at that uh, also fulfilling that same role? I I don't know. I, I think that, I mean, that is, that's actually a good point that the three, layabouts and the kids are kind of the same group of characters Mm -hmm. just at different ages and you can see that the kids are a lot more literally active but also a lot more aggressive and confrontational whereas the old guys are equally um i guess like vitriolic they're equally negative but have kind of resigned themselves to just sitting on their street corner and not doing anything about it mm-hmm. okay. until the very end where everybody gets up and fights. Right, right. Well, but you know, they do end up showing restraint because at the one point, the, um, the one with the glasses, uh, is saying, Hey, we got to go take care of those Koreans. And he's been complaining about them throughout the whole movie. And then at the last moment when, um, Sal's is burning down. He turns and says, now it's time to take out the Koreans. And the Koreans are like, no, 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 we're the same. You know, we're, you know, we're going through these exact same things. Don't, don't take this out on me. And then they, then they restrain themselves and pull back. Mm -hmm. So then what, what then we're having some issues with Matthew connecting. I'm sure he wants to jump in on this. Um, you've already established Rodrigo that, uh, Jade then becomes the Malcolm or not the uh, Malcolm, but the Martin character, mm-hmm. or, uh, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King. What does Tina represent? And you've already talked about mother sister as well, mm-hmm. but what, what does Tina represent in society in this? Or maybe, maybe we should let Zach have a go at this first. Sure. 
I don't know. Let's let's just, just go to Rodrigo. Let's go to Rodrigo with the highlight reel. Yeah. Zach's going to pass the wall. Um, I'm going to pass this one. <laughs> I, I don't think that Tina... I mean, I think you can say that she does. You, you can probably read her in a handful of ways. But honestly, I think that Tina is very much a person. More, more so than any sort of allegorical character. She is specifically there for Mookie. She represents, character-wise, Mookie's um, past... Mm-hmm. potentially his future uh, because he's still together with her and she is this f- uh, entity that kind of exists outside of the movie for all intents and purposes you know she orders a pizza to pull him out of it and briefly he does not exist in bed right, right for that amount of time you see him as a lover and as a different person and then he goes back to it Right. And, you know, she's not there when everything goes down either. I mean, she is basically absent. Right. Yeah. From, and that's why the movie itself. And you get the in- impression. And that's why we were talking earlier about how how wide does the story take place? You get the feeling that she is several blocks away. Yeah. And I don't know what the delivery area of Sal's Pizza is, but she is purposefully not part of of this um, of this group or this mm-hmm. dynamic. This is something that is. To an extent, foreign to Mookie because it's not in his neighborhood. It's not in his place of comfort, I guess, his home. Yeah. Uh, and so we kind of get into that. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Matthew, about Tina now that you're back on with us? Rosie Perez, always adorable. Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> More popular. Well, this was her first movie, right? Mm-hmm. More popular from Do the Right Thing or more popular from White Men Can't Jump? Ooh, that's tough. I like this character more, but I think probably white men can't jump had more eyes on it. Yeah. Um, senior love daddy. What does he represent in this film? Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Um, voice of reason. Okay. Kind of thing. Well, you think so? I don't know about reason. Maybe restraint would be a better way to look at it. Okay. Because he's not necessarily that that wise character. He's just a character who's like, hey, now, wait a minute. I think that his bias is, is there as well. But I don't know if I would call him reason. Reason is probably the name. Uh, I, think, I think Senior Love Daddy is, um, and it's great to, to, to even have to refer to a character by that name. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Um, yeah, Mr. Senior Love Daddy is actually the chapter breaks. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. When yeah. when we're getting ready to go in a new direction, he pops up either commenting on what just happened or he prefaces it. You know, we he is the first thing we hear at the beginning. It's going to be a hot one today. Um, he is the last thing we hear at the end when he you know dedicates the last song to Radio Rahim, and then throughout, you know, when things get really intense. And the movie's about to go in a new direction to either break that intensity or to increase it in a separate way. Yeah. That's when Love Daddy comes in. Yeah, he's clearly the break right in the mm-hmm. middle when he does the roll call. Oh, man. Yep. The, yeah. As far as writing goes, every word that Spike Lee wrote in this film, I think, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And roll call is probably one of my favorite just long stringing together of names. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just flows and with samuel l jackson it just flows and sounds so wonderful but even you know even conversations 
between uh, the mayor and um, uh, mother sister, mother sister, sister are just beautiful, wonderful yeah. little you know love happening. When Mookie and his his sister Jade are having their conversations, there's meaning behind that. Uh, also, probably helps that yeah, Spike Lee and siblings. Jade are, are actually siblings. Yes. When when Vito and Pino are fighting, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah. still a lyric. There's a lyrical nature yes. to. Yes, there really is. So I've held back on talking about the Mookie character. Yeah. And I find this interesting because um, it seems that Spike Lee is paying, playing a character that he tends to um, dismiss the most in, in many of the other things that he says or talks about or writes about. Oh, what's that? I mean, what? It, well. I guess we can talk about it, but. He ahead. is not a father. I mean, he he basically abandons his kid. Yeah, doesn't see the kid for weeks at a time. He's only in it for the money. He's only in it for, um, you know, he. Granted, he's we don't hear him talking about got to buy the Nikes or whatever, but he certainly fits into the fashion sense mm-hmm. of this world and this age group. He represents that group that I think Bill Cosby says, "Pull up your pants and and you know be responsible." And Mookie is anything but responsible uh, in this movie. And I, I find that fascinating. Rodrigo? I can see that. Um, I think that... I mean, he's the, and, and when we talk female characters, I mean, the females yeah. are always telling him what to do. Mookie, from, from Tina. Mookie, where are you? You're never around. You're never the father. Take mm-hmm. care of your kid. Raise your kid, Mookie. And then you get it from Jade. Mookie, get a job. Do the right thing. You know, uh, be responsible, Mookie. Mm-hmm. So he's getting mm-hmm. it from that, from that end. Sorry, Rodrigo. I didn't mean to interrupt there. No, no, I, I mean, I, I think I, I can see that, um, you know, to me, Mookie is kind of an like, I, I think he's set up as an everyman and he's an everyman who has actually already made a lot of like the crucial choices that you would see in other movies. Right. Like in other movies, it'd be like, should I be a good father or should I like try to go off on my own? And by the beginning of the movie, he's already made that choice. Yeah. You know, he's barely involved at all in his kid's life. You know, he lives with his sister because he can't afford a place. You know, he's got things that maybe he's going to, but he's not. He's kind of given up on anything but being a pizza delivery guy. Um, and but I think that's also kind of not what's important. The most important thing is kind of that personal choice that he is going to end up making in the end of, you know, when all the chips fall, where he's going to stand. Matthew. He's kind of a blank slate, but not because he doesn't have opinions, but because he's so conflicted in terms of everybody's telling him what to do and yeah. people are telling yeah, yeah, yeah. him people are telling him different things. He's he's I don't know if I'd call him a point of view character necessarily, but he's that character who is at the center of it, not because he's the most interesting or because he's the one who's integral to the plot. He is the one that all the others are trying to influence. When we say that Buggin' Out is an instigator, he's trying to instigate uh, he's trying to instigate him, you know, in, in Mookie into into going with him and, you know, beating people up over their Jordans or whatever it is that he you know wants to go do. Everybody is trying to affect him. And he's he's not exactly the calm in the center, but he's sort of he's slothful. 
at the middle of everything and everybody's telling him what to do and he's not doing it and you're not sure why necessarily. And then when everything blows up around him, you're just kind of like, wow, maybe, maybe he had kind of the right idea, only not. I don't know. I, I, yeah, no, I think you're right because I don't think even at the end of the movie that he knows what to do. Yeah. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I think he's still looking out for himself when he goes at the end of the movie and he says, Sal, I want my money. And Sal whips out and throws him $500 and says, look, Mookie, you're a rich man. You have more money, twice the money, what he normally would get paid. Mookie says, Mm -hmm. no, I don't want that money. I don't want your extra money. And then in the end, he ends up taking it. Yeah. He He ends up taking it. He ends up picking it up anyway and leaving. And it just, you know, it's, it is a character that is in, in constant flux and in constant indecision and in constant doesn't want to know, doesn't know what's going on. But he says throughout the movie, got to get paid, got to get paid, got to get paid. He's really only there for that, for that yeah. money. Yeah. Which I don't yeah, know is, is I, I sad I think or not. he knows what he knows. No, I know. And then, so a lot of people then, and, and Zach has, I will give Zach credit. He's done his research because um, one of the things that Zach discovered in his research is what? In regards to the title of the movie and Spike Lee's comments on that. I don't know what you're talking well, about. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're so referring to. So a lot of people <laughs> go up to Spike Lee <laughs> and say. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. That's what we're talking about. Oh, God, uh, Zach. I just didn't know what you were referring to. Um, I'm trying to throw sorry, the easiest softball. I know. I just, sometimes we talk a lot of things. Um, and when I was going through and I was reading, because obviously I got, I finished this movie and my mind was just like on the wall, essentially. That's how I was the first time yeah. I watched it. And so I started going and I started reading reviews and essays that people had written on it. And they said, in Spike Lee has said that only in regards to the ending with, with what Mookie does, only white people will come up and ask if Mookie did the right, right thing at the end. Mm-hmm. They said no one else will ever ask him that. Which in itself I think is is fascinating. Yeah. And it seems that, and, and Rodrigo, I think you made a comment earlier about uh, white reviewers uh, who thought that this movie was just going to cause all sorts of trouble. Oh, that wasn't me. I think that was... Oh, that was also Zach. Oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, there was a lot of concern, right, Zach, about... Yeah, and they said other people had gone through reviews after this for the movie, and only the the white guys that were writing reviews were saying, oh, this movie is going to incite riots in the cities, and people are going to rise up in power, and this that's why this movie should not be watched. Yeah, or shouldn't even be released. It shouldn't even be released, yeah. yeah. Which, again, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating. I mean, I remember watching this, and granted, I watched it on VHS. Would have had to have watched it on VHS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I probably was not... This movie came out what year? 89. 89. 89. So this would have been um, probably during a break coming back from college in 89. Um, or maybe over the summer, I don't know. Probably but, over the summer. I, I would imagine that's probably when I saw it, but I remember getting the tape, renting it from the videotape store and watching this and going, I've heard so many things about this. I've got to watch this film. I've got to see what all the hullabaloo is about because quite frankly, the closest I'd ever been to Spike Lee was watching his, uh, Mars. What's the, the, the Nike commercials that he did playing Mars. What was the, what was his last gotta name? Gotta be the shoes. Yeah. Gotta be the shoes with was it Mars, uh, Blackman? Mars Blackman. Mars Blackman. And, uh, and well, Michael Jordan character and she's got to have it. Right. Yep. That's as close as I'd ever been to Spike Lee. And I said, well, how could Spike Lee be this controversial? I got to see this movie. And just like you said, mind on the wall after watching this going, what have I just watched? Mm-hmm. This is really deep. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not understanding because I'm a white boy who lives out in the country mm-hmm. and, um, just fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then a year later I was dropped in the middle of, uh, Walt Disney world. 
uh, surrounded by everybody from everywhere. And it was very cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think that the and this is going to come across as sounding facetious. So please bear with me before you laugh. It's okay to giggle, but understand what I'm trying to say. The thing and the reason that I went to see this movie was did you go see in the the theater summer? No, 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 I didn't go to the movies Um, in the summer of 89. uh, We've talked about my cousin who had a friend who worked at the video store down by the river. Elwood. Yeah, my cousin Elwood, he's awesome, by the way. Um, but in any case, he's a Harley mechanic now. Um, they had an adult section, and I was just 18. And I knew that this movie was something because there were two different parodies. There was Screw the Right Thing and Do the Tight Thing. And I'm like, they're referencing this movie, and there's two of them. I want to know what this movie's about. And this yeah. is, you know, as goofy as it is, that's why I went to check this movie out. And I'm glad I did, not just because of Rosie Perez. But, you know, kind of in that same experience, I, I, it's a very rural town, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we did not have anything, but, but people who lived on a farm, people who used to live on a farm and people who, you know, bust in from the farm and seeing this movie was just transformative. And eventually I like to feel like this movie became one of the things that kind of reminded me, hey, not everybody comes from the same place, thinks right, the same right. things that you do. Right. But more importantly, everybody has that bias and everybody has their own, their, uh, I almost said bull, their own BS that comes with being who they are. Right. And I feel like doing the right thing for me is just remembering <laughs> when my bias comes up. When I say, you're 12, Zach, that's me being old. <laughs> That's my bias. And there's there's nothing wrong with being young and inexperienced because in, inexperience is not the same as ignorance, as as willful ignorance. So when I make fun of, of Zach for his inexperience, what I'm really mocking is someone, you know, my age who might be willfully ignorant and avoiding these experiences, which, you know, you get to the center of this movie. It's all about what is the right thing and how do you know if you're doing it? Rodrigo, when did you first see this movie? Uh, probably like 2002 or something like that. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I. Were you living in Ohio at the time? No, I was in college. Oh, okay. Um, and it was like part of a series that they were doing because they'd show, you know, important movies with with some amount of frequency. So I, I watched this, and then I think afterwards I watched The Conversation um, and Ooh. then proceeded to watch The Ooh. Conversation 15 more times yeah, because yeah. every film uh, professor loves The Conversation. Yep. Um, yeah, and Steven's checking his list it, to see. Yeah, what I, I, I knew it was on the list, but I just wanted yeah. to see if we had anything after. We need, we need to have that one, right then thing. my dinner with Andre. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw it. I mean, and uh, you know, I think because I was – I mean, I was in college when I saw it, and so it wasn't like a kind of um, thematically, it wasn't a shock to the system because I've had that before moving to a different country. Right. Um, It was like, holy crap, everyone here is different. There is like a culture that is different from mine. And wait a minute, there are 15 cultures just in this neighborhood that are different from mine. Yeah. So that was very reinforced by Do the Right Thing. But I think formally it was kind of a shock because it's it's a movie that kind of does whatever it wants. 
Yeah. And yeah. and doesn't and doesn't let any sort of um rules get in the way of the story that it wants to tell. Yeah. I don't know if you would get away in in you know today's movie making thing it seems like people play a lot of really safe sort of focus groupy let's not offend anybody things. I don't well, know if I you guess would get it- away with that that moment in the middle of the film where everybody starts yelling their particular, you know, and in in a in a great big old round, everybody sure. starts yelling, yeah, and then the next person but you comes remember, up and yells too. Do the right thing wasn't a major studio release, right? right, right so true. what we're what we are often fed out here is major studio release. If you're yeah. in a bigger city, you're you going to be able to go to the Metroplex really that has you know thirty theaters, and everyone's going to be playing a different movie. And Dude, so Metroplex you, was one of the Autobots, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, a giant theater that transforms into a uh, aircraft carrier or something. <laughs> a giant theater that transforms into an abandoned theater. <laughs> <laughs> no, so but it's I, in the ninety. There's something, Zach, that that yes, this was not a big film, and you're right, Matthew. Today, a big budget film probably could not get away with these kinds of of things, themes, ideas, discussions, mm-hmm. um, uh, trying to be brought out. But if you live in a bigger city, Zach, and I hope someday you do, oh, you'll be able to go down to the uh, independent theater and you'll be able to see small films. I remember just you know I've many times people get tired of me saying this. I've lived in Atlanta. <laughs> So I've been to theaters big and small. Mm-hmm. I lived in California where routinely uh, within two miles, I could see any movie that ever came out. Um, in Kansas City, my wife and I were bored one night and we said, hey, let's go see this movie called. Um, um, oh, now I forgot of it. The kid, the uh, Utah kid with the Afro. Uh, Eraserhead? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, the comedy. Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite. 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 And the only, place, <laughs> the only place you could see that is in the is in the small independent theaters. And I know that Do the Right Thing, while it probably had a good release, mm-hmm. was not in a mainstream theater. No, probably not. And I guarantee you. Napoleon Dynamite as done by David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> well, not think Quite about it. Movie. That is a racer head. It is. <laughs> it absolutely is. I would bet money do the right thing never played here. Oh, jeez, no. Probably not. Here. In, in, Hayes. in Hayes. It played in um, Salina? Probably played in oh, Salina, that. but not Hayes. No. Well, Hayes didn't have but two theaters back then. Well, four two, screens. Two yeah. screens. Four screens. Two While screens. we were going up. Nope. You, had, the, you had two at the mall. You had two at the Fox. Upstairs, downstairs. Oh, the and mall two. wasn't there yet. Any yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. No, yeah, it was. No, they invented no, the mall. No, theater. no, Matthew's wrong. He's remembering wrong. I have sandwiches. read of it in stories. Too many sandwiches. The mall. Speaking of sandwiches and reflections on uh, visual things, let us take this quick break and give a shout out to some people, and then we'll get back to the visual elements of Do the Right Thing. Some people shout outs, yeah. Some people shout outs, yeah. And I am vamping because when my computer crashed, it closed my script. But now the vamping is over. And we thank Benjamin Wixer, Kevin Hall, Sean Krause, Joe Maroney, Michael Kaiser, Ethan Boy, Ramiro Barrera Palma. Jimmy Dunn, Douglas Hopkins, and Ahmed Abed Elaziz. Sorry, I, I used to be a news anchor. And uh, I would like a Jimmy Changa. Senior love doctor, you are not. 
I am not. <laughs> you know what? Uh, nobody knew I was vamping until I sang that I was vamping. Thank you, everyone, who uh, contributed to the uh, Major Spoilers cause. And if you want to find out okay. more about that, head over to Majorspoilers.com. More information right there at the top of the page. We're hoping that you will help us reach our goal so we can bring more Zach on film to you. I was going to do a whole shout out thing, but I know that I am not Samuel Jackson. I would never be able to be Samuel L. Jackson. We love roll call, y'all. Does not happen that way. All right. I so, apologize. Visual me. elements. Now yeah. the visual. Now the technical. What do you notice about the visual storytelling elements in Do the Right Thing, Zach? Uh, we'll start with coloring. Okay. Um, it's supposed to be a hot day in New yes. York City. Yes. And it very much shows that throughout the pretty much every image besides probably one sequence of Demare and mother sister talking at the, the very at the end night, yeah at night. where that's pretty much blue but everything right. else is very orange. much red and orange uh, they went back and painted a lot of the neighborhood yeah I, i've red read that they went and orange mm-hmm. to bring out that intensity yeah and i believe there is i know i think it's during the roll call when they show the three guys on the wall mm-hmm. where they're holding they hold like heater lamps mm-hmm. next to the camera so you can get the shimmer yeah, yeah, yeah. of the heat and they do i think in one more shot with radio rahim mm-hmm. okay good that's good they're yeah. using color to emphasize the, the hottest day of the year what else um there is a lot of pov shots okay where they'll like when um, for instance, when Mookie is about is uh, not Mookie uh, bugging out is trying to get the people to start uh, boycotting Sal's. Mm-hmm. He's walking over to those three guys, and you're kind of tracking along with him. And the camera just does like a a simple kind of move into where bugging out would stand, and then you mm-hmm. go go to those guys, and it's like they're actually talking to bugging out, and you're looking at it as bugging out. Okay. And I think it does one more time when Radio Rahim does his love-hate thing mm-hmm. where that's on oh, yeah, yeah. Mookie and totally those two, and it goes view. into mm-hmm. Mookie's point of view. Um, did you notice that, you know, when you're looking at the lens, the mm-hmm. lens types, and this is something that really kind of stood out, especially compared to um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and the Breakfast Club, use of very wide-angle lenses yeah. and wide-angle lenses in tight spaces so that you get this shot of Sal, you don't get a lot of distortion in the image, but you can tell it's a very wide shot, very close, because you're seeing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then that gives you room to allow other characters to lean in and do things. Uh, places like where Pino is, is leaning in and kind of there is a reminder that, mm-hmm. hey, I still hate you, Mookie, uh, when, when Sal is talking to him. Or just when people are having conversations with one another. You use that. Ex- I mean, it's it's really weird to see. Because you're using probably, I don't know, Rodrigo, a 24 millimeter lens or something like that, and you're putting it three feet away or right, you know, a foot away right from the person's the face. face, and you're not getting the barrel distortion that you'd normally see, but you can tell that you're getting some warping going on and mm-hmm. that you're looking at this in a very different perspective uh, view of the world. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the use of a Dutch angle. Yes. Rodrigo, what's a Dutch angle? Uh, a Dutch angle is. Um it's like a Dutch oven, except, right. uh, except you're not the shoving the blanket down. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I know. Oh, Mr. Cotter, pick me. I know. Um, let's see. It. Let's see. Who else could I ask uh, about uh, <laughs> Matthew? Tell us about a Dutch angle. A Dutch angle is what I like to refer to as Twilight Zone filming, where <laughs> your 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 camera is tilted. 
so that it's not vertical to the horizon of what you're looking at. Perpendicular it's to the horizon. Zoo- yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not like it, it sets your, it sets your actual framing off kilter, which gives you the impression that the things that are about to happen are not quite right. If you've ever seen the Twilight Zone episode, Third from the Sun, every single shot in the episode for 26 minutes is at a Dutch angle. So are those. And you find out at the end, you get that big twist at the end. We're headed for a new planet. It is called Earth. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, okay. Right. And like every and it, shot in Thor on Earth is a, almost a Dutch angle. Yeah, yeah to an extent. Every I mean, if you watch thing. if you watch the uh, 1966 Batman series, every time that you're fighting a villain, everything's at yeah. that Dutch. Now, Dutch there's angle. extreme measures of Dutch. I mean, mm-hmm. we see this in car commercials where you Dutch the camera and you get that power um, left to right shot of yeah. the car zooming through the scene. And that's power, right? Uh, yeah. You see that in, I said, the 1966 Batman. There's a real fascinating use of the Dutch angle in um, – Hook from Steven Spielberg, movie that I totally detest. <laughs> but there's a scene where um, Dustin Hoffman as Hook is walking through his cabin and the ship is tilting left and right like it's on the water. Mm-hmm. But the camera dutches in the opposite oh. angle each time that Dustin oh, Hoffman right. takes a step and is having a conversation where he is torn between do I go and kill this boy or do I just leave the things the way they are? Mm-hmm. And in uh, Do the Right Thing, we see a slight Dutch. It's not an extreme Dutch angle. It is a mm-hmm. slight. And we're talking about. 10, 15 degrees, just to show you that and to build that tension to say, hey, conflict is coming up. And that's typically when you use a Dutch angle is when there's conflict. Yeah. If you want to see a really another really great one, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the original uh, silent film version, which I think may be kind of the er example, because the Dutch in this actually means Deutsch, German. It's a German expression. Das Deutsch angle. Das Deutsch angle. But yeah, um, and it, it's a really simple trick, and a lot of people who aren't necessarily as aware of camera movements will be influenced by that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. If you want to, if you want to see a puke-worthy example, watch. And that okay. If you want to see a puke-worthy movie, but an example. Well, Hook, of that I already talked about that, Hook, Rodrigo. Well, Battlefield Earth. Oh, oh I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it. Entirely. I'm not speaking ent- to you any longer. It is entirely shot. At a canted angle, like every time anything happens, the, <laughs> the camera is like at a forty-five degree angle. Oh, that's pretty extreme. Yeah, it's extreme. ridiculous, mm-hmm. and and for no reason. Like that, there it doesn't really, you know, uh, give you like, oh, this is a perspective change, or this is happening because this is happening. It's like no, it's like to it, literally they're using it. To build tension where there is none, mm-hmm. as, assuming there is an explanation and not just like, oh, wow, we forgot to calibrate our tripod. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I get to see a lot of Dutch angles and the students don't even know they're <laughs> yeah, doing the Dutch angles. Exactly. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they didn't do it on purpose. Heck, I've, <laughs> I've shot plenty of stuff other. in a Dutch angle just, be, just because I, you know, I'm out on the field and I forgot to set my tripod. Yeah, <laughs> Everything that, that I see at a Dutch angle gives me that feeling of re 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 but it's yeah. especially mm-hmm. awesome when it's unintentional and you're watching like an interview with somebody about the opening of a pizza place and the angle is there and you're like re 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 <laughs> it's wonderful you know we've talked before Zach in in class about uh, camera placement in relation to who has power in the scene mm-hmm. right if you're shooting down on yeah. someone um, the person you're shooting down on has less power than you're shooting up on someone mm-hmm. there's a great scene in the movie uh, where uh, bugging out is on on the uh, sidewalk, and the biker guy, yeah. the the Celtics t shirt guy, comes walking by and scuffs his uh, sh- scuffs his shoes, 
And there's a great exchange where Buggin' Out goes and confronts him on the doorstep, the mm-hmm. stoop of his apartment. Uh, and during that conversation, you may want to go back and watch this again. Buggin' Out is shot from below mm-hmm. looking up towards him because he's saying, you're lucky that I'm the righteous man and I'm not going to fight you and I'm not going to, you know, uh, beat you or, you know, take any violent actions against you. You cut to a close up of um, the biker guy and I forget what his name is. Slight Dutch angle but also shot from slightly above looking down mm-hmm. so that you show that he is in this power of he's not in power. Right. Um, but as the conversation goes on and the Celtics biker guy starts to talk back suddenly, especially right at the end of the movie where he goes up the steps and he's standing up at the top of the steps. Um, and I read one essay where it's like, he's essentially ascending up. Um, but he turns back and says, I was born in Brooklyn. Suddenly at that point, you're shooting down yeah. on Buggin' Out and all the other kids, uh, yeah. and you're shooting up on him. That's yeah. the only time that that happens. And again, people are pointing out, here's Spike Lee again talking about race relations through the use of the camera placement and the camera angle mm-hmm. uh, in how these characters are dealing with one another. Yeah. Do you see some other things like that being used, a camera placement, camera angle uh, to affect? Um. Yeah, that, that sequence is a... It's a really good example of the placement. What are other ones? I think when I think it's Demers on the steps and the four kids come and start kind of harassing him. Oh right. The, mm-hmm. I think it, it does the same thing where it shoots. It starts out shooting um, Demer from above, and you're mm-hmm. looking down on him, mm-hmm. and then it starts explaining. Yeah, why they don't believe they, in him. Why they don't mm-hmm. believe him, and it starts getting back underneath mm-hmm. him a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. I think it, I'm pretty sure it does it there. Well, they do the same thing when he's talking to um, sister mother, where even though he's looking up at her, right. there's still the angle is a lot down on mm-hmm. him looking up and, and having yeah, that conversation. Is. Same way, that he's he's a lot more in control than what I think people are giving him credit Towards, for. I mean, though. The, sequ- the, sequence the nighttime the, the sequence. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're shooting up, because then you see the mm-hmm. nightlight come mm-hmm. on, the light streetlight come on. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add, uh, Rodrigo or or uh, Matthew, about the cinematography? Yeah, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of camera movement. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. In this, yeah. Um, a lot of the time you get this, and I believe they're crane shots of Mookie walking down the street. Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot of moving shots of the street, either kind of uh, parallel or, or da- down yeah, on the ground. Down the middle of the street. Yeah, down the middle of the street. Um, to, you know, and, and, and you can read any number of things into it, but, you know, if nothing else, it makes for, you know, these shots where he's walking down the street to show you what the neighborhood is like, you know, kind of that life of the neighborhood that people are walking around that people you have met or will soon meet are in that same space. Those moving shots really help to accomplish to, give you that sense and also to give you the sense of pretty much exactly how big this neighborhood is, which is to say not very big. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, there's those moving shots. You can see, Oh, like you can see from South P- pizzeria to Mookie's house mm-hmm. and how far that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like three houses down, three doors down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm over at the IMDB and I'm looking at the, uh, the poster, the iconic poster that everyone remembers. Um, Mookie and Sal looking up at the viewer with mm-hmm. do the right thing uh, chalked onto the street. 
And, you know, for a film that really uses a lot of oranges and reds, the move, the, really the poster blue. is quite different because it's primarily blue. Yeah. It's weird. Which is an interesting thing to think about uh, with the they color. Do it to torture you. Well, well, I suppose you could read a lot well, of things into that. Yeah. Marketing, marketing is its own thing. You know, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously it's kind of that have, thing where you go and you see the trailer and it doesn't absolutely. have anything to do with what. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have oh, all man. been fooled by trailers before. Uh, just um, as a quick offset, I finally saw the movie branded, not what the trailer led you to believe. Yeah. What do you do if you're branded? Yeah. So go ahead with your discussion. Oh, sure. Anything? I mean, it's it, it's just that uh, I mean, that's that's a great example of you go like, you know, do the right thing. They were like, what is going to look good? We need like the two central characters and let's put it in this blue sidewalk so that the actual logo of the movie, that is, in fact, the logo that we see on Mm -hmm. screen pops because it's yellow. If they had put it up against orange, it would not pop. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing the blue choice is that they just want the, you know, that that pretty iconic Font well, but it's also the right thing to be there. Blue is also calming, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's in a way misleading you into thinking what's going to happen, or it's not prepping you for what's going to happen, as opposed to what's that movie Watch Washington Burn or whatever that new movie that's out. And and that's uh, where well, you can look at it, yeah. you can see Washington's on fire. Okay, I can tell from the poster exactly what's gonna happen. The movie yeah. the movie yeah. might have actually been called Washington's on Fire. Maybe it is. <laughs> but it also gives you if you if you look at it. You're looking down at both of the characters, but there's also the point. You'll notice Sal is situated higher. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that has, you know, if that has anything specific to say when we're looking at, we were just talking about the cinematography. You look like, you know, Mookie seems to be down and out and Sal is up with his arms crossed. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a cool poster. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk about advertisement, I mean, to this day, if you watch, a trailer for do the right thing mm-hmm. there's a deliberate you know a, a deliberate theme of not telling you what actually ends up happening oh yeah yeah like, nowadays in a lot of trailers eventually the entire movie is spoiled well i mean even the opening but, opening credits of the movie itself where you've got rosie perez dancing in a variety mm-hmm. of different outfits and a di- variety of different colors you're watching that and you're like I have no idea what this is about. I'm fascinated. Yeah, what is this, but I, what is this, have, yeah. what is this movie about? Hang I on. don't know, but is she going to yes, keep exactly. dancing? Yeah. <laughs> Cause as long as she keeps dancing, I'm watching, uh, yeah. Zach, what about editing? Oh, editing. They smash the crap out of some of those conversations. Oh yeah. Or they just pile dialogue right on top of each other to mm-hmm. create just, just especially with arguments. They're just, they're cutting, quickly between each other mm-hmm. and they're talking over each other and it's very chaotic. well it creates tension yeah, creates, it creates chaos ten- it creates yeah it creates a lot of of interest uh action in scenes where there really isn't a lot of action you know yeah. where the mayor stops or the mayor stops uh mookie doctor doctor you know mm-hmm. i want to talk to you and it's like what and it's back and forth boom, just boom, very boom. quick and it's a conversation that really doesn't have a lot of action to it but because of the way it's yeah. cut you can create that tension throughout there and especially go back and watch that scene with the, with the uh, Celtics biker guy again and yeah. see how well that's edited. So well, I mean, there's almost no breath in between mm-hmm. where one person ends and the next person begins the dialogue. Yeah. So, um, we are running really long on time. Rodrigo, final thoughts. 
Final thoughts. Uh, Do the Right Thing is a movie that accomplishes a lot with very simple techniques. Um, You know, through editing, we see inside of people's heads, you know, that scene where everybody's shouting out uh, Mm -hmm. racial slurs. That's editing. But also through editing and the, the, the camera angle, we see that they are not literally standing there insulting each other. That's right. all in their heads. And we get that, you know, conversations where the camera slides into where uh, Mookie is and things like that to see things from his point of view. Um, that uh, compounded with uh, a lot of quick cuts and a lot of intensity gives us a movie that builds a lot of tension out of really very few events. And the, that's the real mastery of Do the Right Thing mm-hmm. is it's a movie where one thing happens, but it's explosive because the entire movie through techniques and through character interactions builds a ton of tension. I, I, I like this movie because it is Spike Lee making a comment on his view of race relations and the problems with race relations and using every frame of the film to push his message out to people to make people more aware. And yes, the characters may be flat and two dimensional in their portrayal, but each one serves an important role in how the story is told. But every word, every shot, every angle, every edit, I think is just wonderful uh, in this film and a lot can be learned from it. Mm -hmm. Matthew. I agree. And I think that if you, if you're watching this particular movie, you can't help but appreciate the the technique employed and the point of view that the director puts into it. This is a movie where a lot of times the characters are yelling directly at me because they're yelling at each other and I'm in the position where I am the camera eye point of view. That really brings you into the, the tense, horrible, hot, oppressive day and it puts you really it, – it, it makes it very immediate, very real and this mm-hmm. is one where – I would say definitely go see it. A lot of times people say, oh, this this movie is all about the, the hitting you over the head with the message. No, this mm-hmm. movie has message. It actually has multiple messages. It, but it doesn't hit you with them so much as it forces well, you to look at them. And you're right. And then say, okay. And and, and that's, that's absolutely true because here's the thing. I am not – from around here what you know, i mean i've you're from ohio right yes i'm 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 from the the far off land of ohio no i, I mean i'm not I, I didn't grow up in the united states so you know my point of view on this is going to be different you know they say that only um the the white only white people ask if you did the right thing you know when i was looking at this the first time i was like oh i see the movie leaves it open as to whether he did the right thing exactly mm-hmm. then we see the thing by Malcolm X and it's at the very end where it's just a speech by Malcolm X is like, Oh, okay. So the movie is telling you that he didn't or that he did do the right thing. And then they roll in uh, that thing by Martin Luther King. And it's like, Oh wait, no, we're back to not telling you whether he did the right thing mm-hmm. or not. They're just contextualizing it. Yeah. All right. I see what you're doing. Okay. Yep. That's what I was just going to say. So yeah. great. And, and yeah, and that does leave everything open-ended. So now Final question, Zach. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from this movie? And more importantly, what techniques or what are you going to be able to take with you going forward? Oh, well, there's so many. Um, using. Why is there ticking? 
Um, <laughs> I hear no ticking. <laughs> this, is, this is a time dancer. I oh. am not a jerk. I'm a putz. Uh, Got it. Get sorry. it straight, mister. It's not my first language. That's <laughs> yeah, good. Um, not mine either. <laughs> how important uh, camera placement is and framing and just how you set up the camera is important from visually, but also from a storytelling aspect to show what's happening, but then continually build like tension through how it is um, editing, um, just getting people into it. And then also music editing. Cause this was freaking loud movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so oh, yeah. loud that the music will overpower anything of uh, characters are saying it sometimes. And so that builds a tension in like, disorientation through the listener and and it really gets you into those fights of people yelling inside of sal's um that was wonderful to see um even the small things like painting well not really wasn't really small thing but the painting of the neighborhood to make it seem hot um the clothing of mookie Mm -hmm. signified a break in the movie and i've i've switched tones really from what mookie was doing from the beginning to the end um I don't know, just, you can watch this movie probably 15 times, and you can learn 15 new different things about oh, yeah, storytelling. Yeah. yeah, and that's and one of the making. things is that you can get in it. There's a lot of messages that you can dissect this on a, yeah. a number of different levels and, and go dive down deep into this and find out, you know, all these different things. Uh, so that's good. Uh, I'm going to give you an A this time, oh. Zach, because uh, you did do your homework. And I know you did your homework because off off show, you were talking about things that you've done and researched. And I think you've got a good grasp on this. So this week I am giving you a gold star. Woo-hoo. Matthew. I agree. I'm going to go with a B plus. Oh. What? A B plus is very good. It's like an above average rating. But most importantly, it, it's something where Zach pointed out a couple of things that I had never considered about this movie. And that's pretty awesome, you know, considering, again, I, I think I was, it was in a previous MSP. I said that there's, there's nothing wrong with not knowing things as long as you're willing to learn. And I think that Do the Right Thing taught him a little bit of that lesson, and he has learned his lesson well. And Rodrigo. Zach definitely approached this movie with a critical eye. Um, he gets a pass from me. Excellent. Rodrigo grades on a pass fail. I do. I, I can just strictly That's pass good. fail. He uh, hates the curve. And I think Rodrigo made the good comment. You're viewing this film with a critical eye. Yeah. Always got to ask this question too. Did your yeah. girlfriend watch it? Um, after I watched it once, I was going to go back and watch it again. I said she had to watch it with me and she made it about 25 minutes through and fell asleep and I got upset and I told her today, I am buying <laughs> the Blu-ray and we will watch this, and then we will discuss it afterwards. You watch <laughs> sleep, and he threw a trash can through a window <laughs> and screamed, <laughs> Yeah. Um, didn't get to uh, thank God for the forehead, thank God for the chin. She no. didn't make it that far? She okay. did not make it that far. All right. Um, what is? Do you watch these movies at 3 in the morning? Is that why she's always falling asleep, or does she, well, she I just not one care about these time. things? Oh, okay. Something got canceled that I had to go to, and so I was like, well, I still need to watch this, so... I pulled up on Amazon and started streaming it. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Just asking. Uh, we're going to have to bring her in one of these days and see if she's actually watched one of these uh, movies. Ex-girlfriend on film. <laughs> <laughs> it will get first 25 minutes of the, of the movie. Getting dumped. Yeah. How, yeah. How did you feel about the Zach first 10 minutes? Single. All right. Good job, Zach. That's what we want you to do. We want you to be able to view these films through a critical eye. And I'm going to give you a choice then, since you oh. did so well this time. Woo-hoo. We can either watch next time mm-hmm. what I had planned 
because Rodrigo had made a comment about, can we please get out of the 80s? Yeah, um, right before he's like, I love this movie from the 80s. Um, <laughs> we can either go back, 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 way back and watch the movie M, <gasps> or we can watch The Conversation. Mercy, mercy. Quiet, don't <laughs> ruin the ending. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, uh, one will probably deeply bother you. Yeah. The other one will, (laughs) the other one will disturb you. Mm -hmm. They will both tweak your melon. So no matter what, it's a Uh, loss for you. Uh, And your girlfriend will not watch them with you. No, she won't watch either one. I, I guarantee you she'll get five minutes into M, which is a German film. Um, and subtitled and subtitled, but it is so good. Rodrigo and I've actually talked about this movie before on uh, the major spoilers podcast. Oh, Matthew too. Um, I believe in a top five. Yeah. And you'll get to the point where you'll actually watch those subtitles and they'll disappear. If you get that involved in the movie. Oh yeah. So your brain will, um, will automatically learn German. Just to watch it. Let's go. What's M? Let's go with M. Okay. M. 1939, right? Is that what it uh, is? 1931. 1931. Peter Laurie. And um, great uh, great role. It's disturbing, yeah. Zach. I'm ready. Still yeah. do your homework, though. Do my best. Zach on film. All right, that's going to wrap it up here for another week on Zach on film. He- make sure to head on over to Majorspoilers.com to give any thoughts you have on Do the Right Thing. And make sure while you're there to click on the Amazon link on the home page where you can head over to Amazon and pick up your very own copy of Do the Right Thing, much like I'm going to do. Uh, the price will cost exactly the same for you, but a little bit of that will come right back to us to keep these wonderful shows going for you to enjoy wherever you may be in future or uh, possibly past if time invention becomes a thing. So that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, make sure to come back next week as we talk more great films. 